Oh, hello. My name is Bill DeFilippo, and I'm the host of Roar Lions Radio, and I'm here today with my co-host, Matthew Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on? Oh, hello. I'm excited to be here on the eve, week, whatever you want to call it, of the return of Penn State football. I'm very excited. I thought for sure you were going to hit me with the Charmed, I'm sure. Oh, I should have hit you with the Charmed, I'm sure. I forgot all about that. Yeah, we, we a little... Uh, behind the scenes on how this podcast works uh before we record we talk about dumb stuff for 10 minutes and we talked about oh hello uh the wonderful uh sketch comedy uh bit by john mulaney and nick kroll you should watch all of it after you listen to this episode of the podcast in which matt and i are going to be talking about our final two positions that we are previewing with this Penn State football team, Penn State's linebackers and Penn State's defensive backs. Then we're going to do a little preview stuff uh, at the very end of this pod. Uh, We are, you know, just days away from the Penn State football season improbably as, uh, you know, improbably as anything getting underway. And as a result, we're going to talk about these last two positions and then get everyone ready for this upcoming season. Um, Matt, I don't know about you, still pretty weird to me that they're going to be playing football this week. I think the fact that like we're, we're about a month into every other conference playing has normalized it a lot. And I think the fact that um, Georgia already has a bad loss, Florida, or not a bad loss, but already lost, Florida already has a bad loss. Um, I, I think things feel very normal in that sense. Also, I'm afraid of going to Indiana. So I, I think all it all is right in this very bizarre corner of the Internet. Indiana is still the only Penn State true road game uh, that I have ever traveled to. Uh, it was the game between Penn State and Indiana in 2013 where indiana beat penn state 44 to 24 uh so ever since then i've stopped going to penn state road games because obviously i am the problem uh but who was who was i used quarterback that game do you remember uh nate sudfeld oh whoa yeah birds legend uh give me a sec i have the i have the box score up Right here, Sudfeld, 23 for 38, 321 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Their running back was a guy by the name of Tevin Coleman, 20 carries, 92 yards and a score. Um, Indiana football, like we'll talk about this later in the week, I'm sure. Indiana football always seems to have like one or two guys who are just absolutely insane and then end up having lengthy pro careers. And now they have... Uh, one such guy, Nate Sudfeld, who was the best quarterback in the Philadelphia Eagles, Matt. Indiana football, kind of insane. Kind of insane. Go, go Bears. I've adopted the Bears as my hometown Chicago team, uh, thanks to my lovely son, Alan Robinson, who was the best receiver in the NFL and has never had a good quarterback, and I feel so bad for him. Yeah, if you've ever, uh, if you ever want to have some fun, look at everyone uh, that Allen Robinson has had as his quarterback from the time he was in high school. It's a really fun experience. Uh, but we will do the Allen Robinson cast, uh, you know, probably after week three when they decide to cancel the entire college football season again. But before we do that, we're going to talk about the final two positions that we need to talk about with this Nittany Lion football team, starting with the linebackers. Penn State uh, always and forever will be linebacker you. This is always going to be a position that stirs up a lot of intrigue. And Matt, the thing that is so fascinating to me about the linebacker room this year is they unexpectedly, you know, a few months ago, lost the 
best linebacker in college football in Micah Parsons. Someone who had a, a little crazy because it's always a little bit crazy to think a defensive player can win the Heisman Trophy, but someone who had as legitimate of aspirations of winning the Heisman as a defensive player can. And yet, I don't feel worried at all about Penn State's linebacker core, despite the fact that Micah won't be there. I'm in the same boat. This is a unit that's replacing all three starters now with Micah gone. Uh, Cam Brown now gone. Jan Johnson gone. And I don't feel nervous at all because they've stockpiled this position room with such insane talent. And I think it's a really fun mix of upperclassmen uh, like Jesse Lucetta and Ellis Brooks. Ellis Brooks high forever. And Brandon Smith, Curtis Jacobs, Lance Dixon, Charlie Catcher's got a lot of, I'm just going to list all the dudes, I guess. Uh, Charlie Catcher's gotten a lot of really good press. I think this is a really talented group. So if you're going to lose your entire starting lineup at one position, it's pretty good that it's linebacker because this is a room that has, I think, at least three dudes who are going to make it in the NFL. Yeah, it's so interesting because you look at the Nittany Lion linebacker room, it has... Jesse Lukita, who has been in the program for a while, played a good amount of football, was a high force star. It has Ellis Brooks, again, been in the program for a while, redshirt junior, played a lot of football. He was a three-slash-four star, depending on what you were looking at. And then you look at the talent around them. Brandon Smith, five-star, best linebacker in his class. Lance Dixon, five-star, one of the best linebackers in his class. Uh, he might have been four-star in a few other places, but four or five-star. Curtis Jacobs, another guy, four or five-star, one of the best in his class. There is just so much raw talent in this room. And that's before we even get to the guys like Zariah Fisher and whatever extent he is able to contribute. Uh, Tyler Elsden, whatever extent he's able to contribute. Charlie Catcher, another dude, been to the program for a while, is a really good player. All these guys, there are just enough pieces in this, Matt, that when, you know, the first question that I want to answer with this position is, how good will this room be without Micah Parsons? To me, the answer is this is going to still be maybe Micah makes them the best linebacking core in college football, but I still think it's totally reasonable to think this is going to be a top five to 10 linebacking unit in the sport. Big time. And I think a big reason for that, at least personally, I am expecting a huge year out of Brandon Smith because I am such a firm believer in the second year bump. And, and not, that's not just like freshman to sophomore. That's your second year after getting legitimate playing time, I think, is when you become a true stud. We saw it with Micah Parsons. We saw it with Etor. We saw it with PJ Mustafer. I really think so. We saw it with Saquon. We saw it with, um, I guess Fryermuth was really good as freshman year, but he kind of he got better for sure his sophomore year. I think that second year bump as an actual role player and now into a starter is so huge. And I think Brandon Smith is such a physical freak that there is not going to be that much of a drop off at all. And I think the fact that Jason Owe and Shaka Tony are there and, and let's be honest, Penn State had some trouble getting to the quarterback in certain moments and Penn State's linebackers were a little limited in the fact that they were not great at in coverage, flat, plain and simple. So the fact that they have a couple of dudes who are straight up pass rush specialists and then they have such a lanky, lanky I guess lanky, lanky and talented linebacker core, I think this is a group that's going to be phenomenal in every single phase of the game. I am so excited about Brandon Smith. I'm so excited about uh, Ellis Brooks, Ellis Brooks Hive. And then I think Jesse Lucetta can do a lot of really nice things. And the fact that he plays uh, both the middle and he's probably going to take, what is it, probably going to take the strong side? 
if you were going to guess? If I had to guess, I, I mean, just how big and physical he is, I would think. Yeah, like I that. think so. I think so too. So I, I think those three are going to be the best unit in the conference still. And I put them in there at a top three unit in the entire country. And the interesting thing is you mentioned that bump for a guy like Smith, who is going to go from playing a decent amount of football to playing a ton of football. Well, I think that also applies for Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lukita, who were, you know, Jesse Lukita appeared in a ton of games as a true freshman, but he played a lot of special teams as a true freshman. That was kind of his big thing. He played a little bit on Penn State's defense, but he's not exactly a guy who was relied upon to go out there and quarterback the middle of the field. Last year was really the first year that he got a ton of time at linebacker, and I think that you will see him take that step after getting... um, you know, assimilated to the speed of the game last year. Then Brooks, another guy who played a lot of football. I mean, he played a good amount of football as a redshirt freshman, played a little bit more as a redshirt sophomore, but now he, I wouldn't be surprised if he's plugged in as a starter. And we will see kind of that foundation that he had the last couple of years uh, really pay off. And again, behind them, Whatever they get out of Curtis Jacobs is going to get be great. I think they're going to get a ton out of Ellis Brooks. I think they're going to get a good amount out of Charlie Catcher. And if they decide they want to only go with two linebackers instead of three, you know, they go four, two, five, uh, a not insignificant amount on passing downs and stuff like that. Okay, fine. They still have plenty of ways they can mix and match what they're going to be doing with their linebacker core. Uh, what do you, who do you think is going to be out there in the four two five? I think it's going to be Smith and Brooks. I think Brooks actually he he has the moniker of like a more traditional middle linebacker, but he played the pass pretty well. I thought each of the last two years. Uh, I would I definitely think Smith just because of his range and his athleticism and his length and all yep. those things. I agree. Uh, and then I it, it depends on between Brooks. And, uh, oh God, I would love it if it was Dixon and just, it'd be awesome if it was Dixon Yeah, and his just length and athleticism and all that stuff flying around. But what a a guy like Brooks or Lukita who can kind of marshal the middle of the field, like I will forever have the visual of last year against Ohio state OSU had like a third or a fourth down and somewhere between like in that two to five yard range and they go five wide Penn state has four down linebackers. And I believe God, who was it? Maybe it was Jan Johnson. I don't remember who was the fifth guy in the box right there. And it was just so evident to me that if Penn state did that, Justin Fields is going to tuck it and run. And, you know, they have Ohio State early on this year. I would like it if the guy that they put in that spot is someone who could shed a block and prevent a quarterback from picking up a few yards with his legs. Uh, so if that ends up being uh, someone like Lukita or someone like Brooks, I'd be overjoyed. But uh, don't have a lot of time to answer that question. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, moving on. When it comes to the amount of talent in this room, Matt, uh, I think anticipating who will be the standout uh, can be tricky, but I also think you and I are on the same page here and that it won't be too hard for people to guess the direction we're going to go in based on everything that we've said over the first however many minutes of this podcast. Yeah, it's it's Brandon Smith. Brandon Smith is insane. 
it's tough to break out when you have Micah Parsons in front of you. Micah Parsons broke out, and no disrespect to Koa Farmer, Micah Parsons was able to break out because he was an NFL prospect and the guy ahead of him wasn't. Brandon Smith is an NFL prospect, and the guy ahead of him is a top five NFL prospect. So I I think there's a lot of not so much concern. I think there's just a lot of unknown, and that's totally fair for, for what we seen so far from Brandon Smith, but I think in his second year in the program, getting that second year bump, which I really believe in, and now the fact that it's his linebacker room to really control. He won't be calling the plays. That's that's the middle linebacker job, but you know what I mean. I think he's going to be one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten and is going to set up an absolutely monster junior season in 2021. Yeah, I I, I have to agree. Like, it I love the point that you made about his inability to break through uh, as a freshman being tied to the fact that there is literally one, maybe two guys in college football last year who could keep him off the field and he just happened to play behind him. <laughs> like, it, it, it would have been, I don't know what it would have been if he was able to take snaps away from Micah Parsons. But whew. No, no matter what he did, he shouldn't have taken snaps away. Exactly. From Michael, Parsons. Michael Parsons is that good. There's and, nothing he could have done, which, and, is, which is phenomenal. He could he could work in at his own pace. And now I think he's going to be outstanding. And the wild thing is, like, it seemed plausible that if Micah stayed around, they were going to find a way to get Smith on the field anyway, because you just have to get a guy that talented on the field that talented and Six three two. Like I'm looking at his twenty four seven profile in high school. Six four two twenty eight. Uh, with Penn State, he is listed at six three two forty four. He's put some meat on those bones, and we saw what happened against. I want to say Idaho last year. Uh, yeah, where where you, where you baptized some poor running back and CJ Thorpe well, fell no, on his knees. No, CJ Thorpe was the one who got baptized in that moment. Uh, the poor running back got hit sticked. Uh, but what with his length and his physicality, like, he just seemed primed for a breakout. And that actually leads really nicely, Matt, into the next question, which is who will surprise? Because I feel like with the certainty that you and I have, that Smith is going to break out, almost anyone can be the answer to this question. But I look up and down this linebacking room, and I see a bunch of guys who, if one thing goes right for him, for him, for him, for him, for him, for him, I think they are going to be able to contribute at a really, really high level. So who is the guy in this room that you think has what it takes to surprise for this unit? I feel like I've been hyping him up for like three years now, but it's Ellis Brooks for me. I think Ellis, Ellis Brooks is so criminally underrated. I think he's a better athlete than Jan Johnson. I think he's a better football player than Jan Johnson. I think that was such a young defense last year, and Jan Johnson was such a great game caller at the middle linebacker position that it wasn't really warranted him coming out as much. I think Ellis Brooks still played a ton, but probably not as much as he should have. And I think with how bizarre this year is going to be, we're going to see a lot of offenses go back to a really old school style of football, especially the later in the year we go, the colder it gets, where it's just going to be three yards in a cloud of dust. And I think that's the kind of 
offense that Ellis Brooks is going to be great at stopping. So I honestly think he could lead Penn State in tackles very easily. That's probably my pick to lead Penn State in tackles. I think he is going to be such a phenomenal football player. And he's been building up to this for so long. Like your, your redshirt junior year is usually the year where you have to start getting noticed. And and I think he's a good enough football player to get noticed by the NFL. And I, I just think he is going to be an absolutely outstanding piece to this unit, even if that's probably just being, you know, like the, the Robin to Brandon Smith's Batman. So here's one uh, from a bit out of left field. And I'm actually glad with what you said about a guy uh, basically in their third year um, because my th- this applies to my answer. Uh, one thing that I think of a lot when I look at Penn State's linebacking group is before his tw- I can't believe I'm about to say this. Before his Twitter account got hacked uh, Micah Parsons I vividly remember this in high school he was asked, who is the best player that you have played against? Do you know who he said, Matt? Wasn't it Wasn't it Charlie Catcher? It was Charlie was, Catcher. He was still a safety. He was like a weird hybrid at that point, too. Yes, and I'm, I don't know what it is about him, but there's just something that I can't quite quit about this guy. He, when you watched him in high school... He was one of those dudes who just had the athleticism and had the intensity to be able to go out and just make plays. And I think that with him, where he is, him being healthy, him being able to contribute, he played in 12, he redshirted as a true freshman and appeared in 12 games uh, last season. Didn't, you know, didn't put up crazy numbers or anything like that. But he has the frame at 6'3", 228, to be able to make stuff happen if he gets out onto the field. He's an academic, all-Big Ten kind of dude, has it going on between the ears. I think that as I look at this Penn State linebacking room, it's an iron sharpens iron kind of place. And if Charlie Catcher is able to up his game when he has so much talent around him, I just buy into him contributing in some capacity. You know, he was a, he he was a good recruit in high school. He certainly wasn't uh, on the level of a lot of other dudes. Three-star kid was a, you know, 24 seven had him as the 11th best prospect in Pennsylvania. I'm not saying that he's going to come out here and he's going to do an admirable Micah impression or anything like that, but I think he's someone who is going to be able to find ways to contribute, uh, whether that's on early downs, whether that's as, uh, you know, someone who plays a little bit more than that. I I just think he's a good football player, and I think he's going to go out and he's going to be a good football player among a sea of really good football players. Uh, Matt, to wrap up linebackers, we wanted to talk about expectations Wait, real quick on catcher. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I think it's important that Brent Pry has pretty much made a point to bring him up and give him a shout out at any point. And, and in a room full of dudes that, that could mm. warrant that mm-hmm. attention. I think it's important to note that this is a guy that Pry has called out like, no, this dude can play. And also, he's not like the Koa Farmer thing or like, I guess, kind of Marcus Allen, even though he was he was basically a linebacker. He came in expecting to be a linebacker. Like this wasn't a flip they made. Like this has been the path for him from the start. This is part of the plan. So I think he can be a really good piece. That's a really good pick. 
So let's get into expectations. I mean, we've both gotten into it, but my only expectation is that this group, instead of being the best linebacking group in America, is uh, firmly in the conversation for being one of the best. And I think they have the talent to back that up. Uh, you, you might have the bar, like, a quarter of a notch higher than I do, but I think we're basically in the same ballpark, right, Matt? Yeah, I think a lot of the reason for for why I'm so high on this unit is the fact that for a long time it was it was one dude in the linebacking core. It was Brandon Bell. Like this is this is very clearly Brandon Bell's unit. Like it was very clearly Micah Parsons' unit. And now I think there's three dudes who it's like this could be their unit. I think that's why I'm really high on this. Um, probably about a notch higher. I, I think yeah. the ceiling is top three. I don't think it's number one. I think it's top three in the entire country. I think it's number one in the Big Ten. Um, but the floor, I put it at like, you know, number like 15 in the country, which is still outstanding. Moving on to Penn State's secondary, uh, a group that groan. has, what was that? Groan, a groan, just a big groan. <laughs> well, unit was, it was, unit was insanely underwhelming last year. That I, I'm inclined to agree with that. And, you know, this is something we talked about a lot, but. There, there's a back and forth. Was the secondary underwhelming or was the pass rush underwhelming and made the secondary look underwhelming? Like, just there's a lot that goes into this. But if you are looking for a reason for optimism just with the secondary, it's a talented room. It's a room with a lot of really big, really physical football players. They have one, two, three, uh, uh, seven guys at safety who, uh, are on scholarship and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys at cornerback. So there are, uh, to use a phrase, uh, that was beloved by Matt's dude, Sam Hinkie, a lot of bites at the apple for this secondary group to mix and match and figure out what they want to do. And as kind of a bonus, Penn State only really lost two major contributors, uh, two starting caliber dudes in the secondary, and John Reed and Garrett Taylor. Matt, as you look at those two and you look at what Penn State has at corner and safety, which of those two do you think is the bigger loss? Oh, um, it's got to be John Reed. And uh, not even John Reed was great. It, getting on the field as a true freshman and performing. I mean, like he did at such a young age was huge. And then I think after he was hurt, I remember talking to him a little bit and he said it really slowed the game down. And I think having a dude like that really helped out that room a lot. Um, and I just think that's going to be a huge loss. I think there's a lot of talent behind him uh, or that ready to replace him. But Garrett Taylor was fine. You, you knew what he was. And, and I feel like a lot of the time that's been the story of Penn, one of Penn State safeties. Like you have one dude who's clearly a pro and then one dude who's fine. And, and that's fine if you're that guy. But, but I think Jaquan Brisker is a much has a much higher ceiling than Garrett Taylor. And on a similar note, I think all of the corners who are ready to step in have higher ceilings than John Reed. But for the immediate impact, I, I think John Reed's a bigger loss. I agree. And the... The thing with Taylor is that I I thought he was a good player, but also never quite got to the level that he should have been at. Like I thought he had the potential to be a very, 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 very good football player, and he just never quite got there. And you look at all the options they have to replace him uh, in some form or fashion. Tyler Rudolph, Trent Gordon, Jair Brown, Enzo Jennings, Jaquan Brisker, Jonathan Sutherland. 
I imagine someone from that group is going to be able to fill in and provide to them, you know, if Lamont Wade is kind of the more ball hawking, aggressive sort of safety, they're they're the one who's a little more cautious, a little bit more better at organizing uh, the defense, maybe more of a center fielder, that type of thing. So I think they'll have that. My concern with losing John Reed is that I don't know who ends up being that like slot corner type of guy that Reed was very good at. Perhaps Donovan Johnson uh, is finally able to get healthy and, you know, he's been really impressive when he's been able to get onto the field, but his ability to consistently stay on the field uh, due to some just terrible luck has hurt him, hurt his ability to contribute quite a lot. But they have a guy like Keaton Ellis. Maybe he's able to do that. Marquise Wilson, maybe he's able to do that. Daquan Hardy, now that he has a year in the program and has bulked up a bit, maybe him. But at least I, I think they can get can figure something out there, uh, even if I think it will be difficult because Reed was very, very good at that. Uh, but like we said, a lot of opportunities for guys to be really, really good contributing members of this group, Matt. Who is the guy who you think is going to be, you can give me one guy, you can give me one guy from each, whatever you want to do, the standout of Penn State's defensive backfield? I'm going to go with Jaquan Brisker. I'm just going to go straight up secondary. If corner, it's Tariq Castro-Fields. He has to get healthy, but I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think it's Jaquan Brisker. I think this dude is so supremely talented as a pass defender. This guy clearly has the kind of ball skills that, frankly, we haven't seen out of a Penn State safety in a long time. And I think he has to be more willing to come up and help in the run. With any luck, Penn State's linebackers are so good. That's not something he has to do all that often, but it, but it's going to happen a couple times a game. But I think Jaquan Brisker is such a physical freak and has such phenomenal instincts. And now with a year under his belt, I think he could be maybe the highest drafted Penn State secondary player we've seen in like a decade. Yeah, I, I think I saw during this offseason – when it comes to corner, at least, Penn State has never had anyone taken in the first round. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, this has never been this has never been a kind of program that elite corners want to go to. I mean, to. it surprises me a bit, if only because like, it's been a very, very good program for a long time, and you'd think that they'd have one dude uh, who ends up breaking out, but neither here nor there. Uh, I, I completely agree on Brisker. Like, I think that he is someone who we saw as the year went on, he got better and better and better at that position, uh, there could be a bit of a learning curve when you are going from someone at a junior college to playing major college football. And it seemed like he was able to adjust quicker than I anticipated. So if having this extra year, having this offseason a little bit longer of an offseason on top of what he did is helpful. I think he's the potential to be a standout. And then I won't say um, Tariq Castro-Fields is my other guy, but I think it's going to be the guy who starts across from him. Because I don't know if that's going to be Keaton Ellis. I don't know if that's going to be Joey Porter. I don't know if that's going to be Marquise Wilson. But I think that they have so much talent, so much young talent at corner, that they're going to be able to put fields on someone and he's going to do a fine enough job. I, I know Matt's thing is that 
he was bang he seemed banged up last year and he wasn't able to perform at 100%, but I just believe that one of these guys uh is going to end up being the cream of the crop. Wet Fields focus on the other team's second best receiver and with the length, the physicality and the athleticism that those three dudes have, one of them are going to end up being above and beyond. I think that it's probably not probably, like I don't know anything, but I'm buying in on Porter being a very, very good football player. Um, yeah, how about the hype for him this offseason, man? Oh my God, that came out of nowhere. And 6'2 with the, you know, I don't know what his wingspan is, but I'm guessing it's a lot. And he ha- he just inherently has, like, you know, when you have when you have that name, you have something between the ears that... <laughs> other guys just don't have by nature of not having Joey Porter be your dad. I think he has the potential to be something really, really special. And I cannot wait to see what we get out of him. But when it comes to the surprise, like we've mentioned, there are so many dudes in this defensive secondary who I think are capable of one of them just has to, has to, has to, has to take, uh, take advantage of the opportunities that they are going to be provided by being by being in a position where there's some uncertainty, but there are a lot of opportunities to be the answer to those questions. Who do you think, Matt, that guy is going to be? Ah, I'm sorry. I got really excited about Daquan Hardy because I was looking up. This isn't an expectation at all, but he's the same size as Tyron Matthew was in 2011. And how cool would it be if this like little short dude who was so under recruited just become like the honey badger and just becomes like an ace on special teams and a really fun player. Um, Do you you want um, me to answer this while you take a half second? Unless you have an answer. Yeah, sorry. I got got very distracted by looking up how close Daquan Hardy is physically to Tyron Matthew. Okay, cool. So I think uh, that... And this is very, very much dependent on how healthy he is. Oh, wait, no. he Is he out for 2020? Donovan uh, Johnson is indeed out for 2020. I was going to say Donovan Johnson because I thought that... That would have been a good pick. Right, but I, you know, I forgot that he's going to be out for 2020. So, uh, yeah, this, this is a tough one, man, because... I'll go with Marquise Wilson. Okay, and I will go with, Ty, I will go with uh, Trent Gordon, but please continue. Wow, and I want to hear your thing on Trent Gordon, because I was really high on Trent Gordon. I thought he played way better than I expected at corner, and I think the fact that he got moved to safety is no knock on his play. I think it was a lot more because look at this current crop of young dudes behind him. So let's move Gordon to safety, because I think he can really thrive there. But I want to hear your thoughts. Well, my thoughts are basically that he has, you know, he's a plenty talented guy and like you mentioned I thought he did a nice job when he got reps at corner but I think there's a bit of an expectation that when you are making the move from corner to safety that you're going to uh you're going to need a year or so to kind of figure things out and I think that Penn State's defensive backfield uh you know at safety they have Two, they have one bang-on starter in Lamont Wade. They have the guy next to him, whether that's Jonathan Sutherland or Jaquan Brisker, where I just feel like that position is sorted out. And I think they're going to want to have that guy behind Lamont Wade who is able to play. And I think that having three guys who know what they're doing, you know, two next to him, one ahead of him, means that for a guy like Gordon, who, again, played a lot of football last year, 
that learning curve, what that like transition to safety that can sometimes take a little while longer for dudes, it's going to be a little bit easier. He's not going to be like Lamont Wade, where he was moved from corner to safety and he was thrown right into the fire. They can take their time with him. And I think that with how talented he is and how smart of a football player he is, he's going to be able to show that when Lamont Wade moves on after this year, they have a guy behind him in Gordon who can step in and contribute. And one more thing, like we mentioned, we don't know who's going to take that slot corner role from John Reed. If it's Lamont Wade, I think Gordon's a guy who can fill in for him at safety and give them a little bit of solidity back there while a guy like Brisker or Sutherland uh, flies around. Or if it's Gordon, that's an opportunity for him to get on the field and he can play against the pass. So I think that he... Things could potentially go really well for him in his third year in the program. Who were, uh, you said Marquise Wilson, correct, Matt? Yeah, I said Marquise Wilson. Cause I kind of have a hot take uh, about Marquise Wilson. I don't think right now he's starter material. I think he is behind Keaton Ellis. I think he's behind TCF. And based on everything we're hearing, I think he's behind Joey Porter jr. And I think him not being a starter and, and more or less that third corner slot corner favors him so much more right now because he is not going to be going up against more physical types or frankly a team's number one receiver and that's going to allow him to play a lot more recklessly which is when he goes out there and when he gets turnovers so i think he can be a really really fun guy who can make a lot of really great plays but i just don't think just at his size right now, 176 is tiny for, for a number one or number two corner. But I think he can absolutely thrive in a third corner role where he's not against the best of the best and he can just play like his hair's on fire. You know what? I, I, that, that's a really good point. Like I, I think that a lot of the times with corner cornerbacks, the expectation is they're going to be able to step in I mean, if they're a promising cornerback, they're going. It's because they're able to step in and lock down like Chris Olave, that sort of dude. And I think that, the, that's not what Marquise Wilson's mm-hmm, there for. I that, agree. That's what Joey Porter Jr. is there for. That's what TCF is there for. That's not what Marquise Wilson's there for. And the best thing for them is when you're able to hold their hand a little bit and ease them in against sec, you know, third, fourth, fifth receiver. So I, I, I do like that answer. That's a, that, that's a really good one. And. I think that leads in nicely to our last thing here before we get into some questions, both our own and some uh, listener questions. What are your expectations for this unit, Matt? Because I think that they're, it's good to have expectations for this unit, but they're nowhere near what they are for linebackers. No, not at all. And I've been very critical of this unit because they frankly can't stop, de- not even good passers, decent passers. This is the reason for pretty much all of Penn State's losses since the Rose Bowl has been the secondary. And that's a little harsh, but but I think it's true. I think if you look back and you see what quarterbacks have done against this unit, it's been career day after career day. So my expectations, I have high expectations for individuals, but for the unit as a whole, I just need to see marginal improvement. And that's why I'm very excited about Jaquan Brisker, because I think him being so good at defending the pass is going to go such a long way and and not having that traditional 
I'm going to go play the run box safety, what, like Marcus Allen, like Lamont Wade kind of is that, but his corner background really helps him out a lot, I think, in, in the past game. I just need this unit to be better than it was last year because I think all the other units around them are going to make up a lot of ground. So even the little bit of improvement is going to go such a long way. So if I were to put as long as they're top half of the Big Ten, like six or seven, I'll be happy. You know, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with that. For me, my expectation is that the guys who are known commodities, so Lamont Wade, so Tariq Castro-Field, uh, so Ja-, the, uh, ja- Quan, Brisker, Jonathan Sutherland, one-two punch, they all are, you know, they don't do anything to actively hurt the team. They're, they're good, solid, reliable contributors, and they act as guys who can kind of shepherd in this next, you know, I don't like saying next generation, but this next group of players in Penn State's secondary. If those three or four guys can be reliable, and they can make it so the younger dudes, uh, gi- you know, relative younger dudes. So whether that's Enzo Jennings, Jair Brown, Trent Gordon, Tyler Rudolph, uh, or, you know, any of the corners that we have mentioned are able to ease into things. I think that this unit is going to be very, very solid. But the one thing that they have to avoid is those more veteran players backsliding. Because if they don't play up to the standard that's going to make it hard for everyone else to play up to the standard. And that is where I think Penn State football gets into some issues with its secondary. Um, any final things on either a linebacker or secondary before we get into some questions, Matt? No, I, I think it's good that I think my biggest question mark is the secondary. And I think it's full of talented dudes. So should be fun. I, I'm excited. I think Michael Penix is a great first test. I, I agree. And then uh, they get the ultimate test right after that. But we will cross that bridge. When we get to it, uh, before we get into listener questions, we do have a few that we're going to answer after this. I thought it would be fun for Matt and I to have to answer each other's biggest question about this Penn State football season. We're going to have our podcast previewing the Indiana game a little bit later in this week, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on that talking about this season. But Matt, I think a really interesting thing for us to do is to examine the thing that gives you the most pause and the thing that gives me the most pause. I want to give you the floor first. What is your biggest question as we enter this Penn State football season? So I view every season, is this roster more talented than 2017's? Because 2017's roster was insane. And I've said many times, I think the 2019 season was the best season under James Franklin, and I don't think it was the best roster. So so my question for you, Bill, is this the best roster James Franklin has ever had? I am going – so I think you have to look at it on both sides of the ball, right? And yep, yep. on offense, I would say no, with my reason being that wow. I think there are elements – of this offense that are better than the 2017 offense. I think that their offensive line is better, like just flat out to a man better than it was in 2000. 
and uh, 17. I think the depth at running back is better, and I think the depth at tight end is probably... No, I won't say probably. I mean, Mike Kosicki and Pat Fryermuth, uh, they're different kinds of tight ends, but I think they're you know, maybe Pat's a little bit better, Uh, but the depth that they have at tight end is definitely better. My reservation stems from the fact that I don't know if they're number one at quarterback, you know, all of the Sean Clifford, but Trace McSorley is the best in program history. At running back, uh, no one is Saquon. They're top one or two at wide receiver. I just don't know if that's better. And I think that they're, it's perfectly fine. I think it's possible that they are a more well-rounded football team, a more well-rounded offense. But I think that in terms of just the talent that they have, along with the fact that the 2017 team was not breaking in a new offensive coordinator, I think the 2017 offense in terms of talent and in terms of what they're capable of are both better. Do you agree or disagree with that? I'm going to disagree. Wow. Okay. Because Penn State is not a little bit better at offensive line. They're worlds ahead. Totally. It's not, it's not close. And I think what we've seen out of Kirk's offense, it's very not plain. It's very not simple. Um, It's very player friendly. Let's call it that. And I think that's fair. It's built upon having a bullying and absolutely mean offensive line. And I think um, Phil Troutwine is the kind of coach who can get them to their full potential. So offensive line, upgrade. Tight end, upgrade. Kasicki is great. Firemuth's great. Kuntz behind him. Strange behind him. Theo Johnson behind him. Tyler Warren behind him. No disrespect to Nick Bowers and John Holland. Uh, the current group's better. Running back, nobody's Saquon. Nobody's Miles Sanders. But I think having this group is a little bit better. Quarterback, McSorley was outstanding. I I love Trace McSorley a lot, but I think what we saw out of Tanner Morgan, where where now he's getting like NFL draft hype, which I don't buy into, I think Sean Clifford can match that. And at receiver, so Penn State had two receivers, top 50 balls caught back in 2017. They're not going to do that because they're not going to throw as much. Also, a shortened season, you get the point. But I think Jahan Dotson, Daniel George, Cam Sullivan-Brown, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, somebody or at least three dudes are going to be able to produce. And I think this unit has to be the best we've seen under Franklin because we've all been saying 2020 is the year that we can make the playoff. And I'm still going to go all into that because I am not going to let a pandemic get in the way of my excitement. So I think, and then defensively, we can go into that later. But yeah, well, I, no, it's, I think, let, let's go into defense right now. You will get okay. defensive line, uh, Sharif Miller, Curtis Cawthron, Parker Cawthron, Torrance Brown. With, this, is, this, this is open and shut. That yeah, defensive line is an open and with shut. With Ryan case. Buckles, Kevin Givens, Robert Windsor, and you know Colin Castagna was listed. Shane Simmons was the, like, they had three defensive ends on that team. Uh, I think that that was a, a good defensive line, but I think that this defensive line has the potential to be great. Like, I don't think anything I said there is particularly controversial. I agree completely. This is, this is like the, the jump I see from offensive line from 17 to now is the same thing I see def- on the defensive line. Well, I disagree. Cause I think that that defensive line was very reliable and very solid. Uh, but 
and this one has more promise, but neither here nor neither here nor there. Well, I'm not. I disagree- think Penn State has three pros starting in the defensive on the defensive line right now. I think Shock is a pro. I think PJ Mustaver is a pro, and I think Jason O is a pro. Right, and they're also different pros than you know Sharif Miller uh, being a pro. Which you know, Sharif Miller, uh, Robert Windsor, both made it to the pros, but I don't think we would say that they're like guys that are going to have lengthy NFL careers. And then Kevin Givens has been a, you know, he's been a very surprising uh, pro and how, you know, the Niners do give him the opportunity to play a bit, but neither here nor there. I do agree with you. I, I do agree. Linebacker is where I think it's a big difference. Uh, Jason Cabinda, very, very good football player, uh, but Penn State has better players than him. Manny Bowen and Cam Brown, again, good players, but uh, they have better ones than him. And then Koa Farber. Uh, Koa Farber and Jarvis Miller were converted safeties. Penn State has actual linebackers there. And then secondary, I think secondary is the place where that defense has a leg up. Christian Campbell, Marcus Allen, uh, Troy Apke, Grant Haley with three Castro Fields, Nick Scott, uh, Aaron Monroe, and Garrett Taylor behind uh, Apke and then Amani Oruwarie. I think that secondary is better, but that front seven, this front seven is better than that one. I certainly agree with that. I think that secondary is um, more proven, but I think this secondary has more talent. Yeah, I don't if disagree. That's, with that. uh, yeah. So, so I, and if I'm gonna, if I view everything through, is this team better than 2017? And 2017 went 10 and two with a loss to a pretty good Ohio State team that should have been a win, uh, my expectations for, for 2020 are through the roof. And that actually leads pretty nicely into my question, which is, is there an advantage to having Ohio State early? Because, let's face it, if Penn State wants to make it to the playoff this year, at Indiana should not be hard. Maryland should not be hard. At Nebraska should not be hard. You take you take that back. You're gonna you're, you're putting a curse on us right now. No, saying Indiana no, won't well, be hard. Well, no. Listen, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that it won't be hard. I'm saying that if they want to make the playoff, it shouldn't be, which I think are two very different things. Good point. Good point. At Indiana, they should win that game. Maryland, they should win that game. At Nebraska, they should win that game. Iowa, they should win that game. At Michigan, uh, you know that's a game they. You know, again, should win. They should be better than Michigan if they want to make the playoff. Rutgers, Michigan State, same thing. That Ohio State game, with how this season plays out, has to essentially be a a college football playoff play-in game. Because I don't know who in the Big Ten West uh, we can realistically say if Penn State or Ohio State is really cooking is better or should be able to beat them. I I mean, maybe... uh, God, I don't even know what the hell's going on with Minnesota. I don't know what the hell's going on with Wisconsin. But if Penn State wants to make the playoffs, it should have one, two, three, four, seven games that do not matter. Those games should be from today if they want to make the playoff, which is a completely different thing from what I thing from what I think will happen. We should be able to write in Sharpie that those are all going to be wins. October thirty first. Second game of the year for both teams. Penn State off of a trip to Bloomington in their home opener. Ohio State off of playing host Nebraska in their first road game of the year. Penn State has to win that football game. And 
the question that I have is whether it is better for them that they have Ohio State this early in the season or if they would rather play them a little bit farther down the road. Because if they would rather have Ohio State, if it is better for them to have Ohio State early on, then this set up perfectly. If it is better for them, if it would have been better for them to have Ohio State after getting four, five, six games under their belt, then, well, they're going to be in for a tough one. So, Matt, that is my question to you. Is there an advantage to having Ohio State early? There's two lines of thinking here. If you lose to Ohio State, if you want to lose and, and still have an outside shot at the playoff, and, and this year's insane, so you never really know what's going to happen. Like, if you, one lost team is going to be good enough. I, I even think, because I don't think SEC can get two teams in. Um, also, because I don't think Georgia's going to beat Florida, and that'll give them two losses, and then it's Alabama and everybody else. But beyond the point, it's good because you want to lose early, and, and then you can kind of build yourself back up. But from a let's-go-out-there-and-win-that-game perspective, which is probably per- the perspective everybody should have, I think it is a good thing because I don't think Ohio State is going to be humming at the rate they usually are when Penn State sees them. And maybe that's a lot of that comes from the fact that they're, they're breaking in a new defensive coordinator. Maybe a lot of that is just, you know, blind optimism. And, and the fact that Ryan Day, this is only his second offseason as a head coach. And look at the wrench he got thrown as opposed to Franklin, who has a veteran staff and is a veteran coach. So I think they can capitalize on a lot of early mistakes by being the more disciplined team. And I think they're going to be. So it's it, it's week two is still a little bit early for me to feel comfortable. You know, thankfully that I, I think all, all this time in the offseason really and, and all the extra work they were able to get in because they still could practice even when the season was shut down to kind of get that offense installed is going to go a long way. Uh, I, I think getting the kinks out early against Indiana, I, I think getting the kinks worked out on the road is huge. I'd much rather do that on the road than at home because I think you have to grow up a lot quicker on the road. But overall, I, I think it's a net positive, but not by much. Yeah, I mean, I I completely uh, get that, and I agree to an extent. But at the same time, when I look at this Ohio State team, they had to replace, they have to replace a very, very, very good running back in J.K. Dobbins. Uh, they had to replace a few dudes along the defense, but Ohio, but Ohio State's defense is very much a we don't have backups, we have more starters sort of thing. And then I look through, I don't think their passing offense is going to miss a beat. Their offensive line has a ton of talent on it. And they have Justin Fields at quarterback, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, uh, some guy named Julian, uh, who I've never heard of uh, at wide receiver. And then just stupid talent on defense. Like they're replacing... They're replacing Trace Young with T- Chase Young, not Trace Young. Chase Young with Tyreek Smith, monster. They have three senior linebackers. They have a ton of talent in their defensive secondary. Like, I think that Penn State needs to be able to start out this season as strong and as fast as possible because Ohio State's going to come into that game as a very talented team 
as a team that will not be coming off of a week one battle because Nebraska is cheeks and a team that considering how their season ended last year with them losing by, you know, losing on an interception in the final seconds to Clemson, I think is going to be coming out really, really hungry from the very start of the season. So I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm, I'm quite a bit concerned. And I also think this is one of those questions that we're not going to be able to completely answer that until after we see what happens uh, between Penn State and Indiana in week one and uh, Nebraska and Ohio State in week one. So we'll dog ear this one. We'll come back to this one uh, for our Ohio State preview podcast, and we will dive into the questions from listeners. Uh, First one from Bryant Covelli. Uh, First off, Matt, real quick, do you have the uh, list of Penn State incoming recruits up on your computer just in case you need it? Um, no, but I can pull it up in like two seconds. Excellent. Thanks to the, thanks to the scholarship grid on roarlionsroar.com. Oh, well, I just DM'd it to you in Slack, so never mind. Brian Covelli wants to know, one freshman on each side of the ball, you're excited to see that should get some playing time. Matt, who was the one freshman on each side of the ball for you? Uh, can, I don't want to cheat and do redshirt freshman. I'll do true freshman. Um. Yeah, yeah. Don't. It, true it, freshman. Yeah. Good. I was saying, if you'd pick a redshirt freshman for this, you're a coward. Not you, just generally. Uh, So on offense, I'm going to go with Keandre Lambert-Smith. I think that's the big play dude. I think you can really succeed at a young age at receiver. I think we see fantastic receivers really step up and make their presence felt all the time. I think Parker Washington is a more complete receiver. I think he'll probably have more receptions than Keandre Lambert-Smith. But if you want the big play dude, it's got to be Keandre Lambert-Smith. So give me him. Um, over on offense. On defense, I don't really know. One dude I really hope it is is Bryce Mostella. I'm not confident it will be, but at his size and at Penn State's relative, you know, not lack of depth, but but need to build need to build experience at defensive end. I think Bryce Mostella could be somebody really fun. Um, obvious answer is Curtis Jacobs. I, I don't know how much he's going to play, but that's you know more speaks to how talented the, the linebacker group is, and he's the best player in this class, I think. Um, so give me Curtis Jacobs. My expectations, my expectations aren't that high, but you know, hopefully he can make a couple plays here and there and, and really show some flashes. Yeah. You, uh, you took both of my answers. I think that Lambert Smith is going to be a very, very, very good football player for Penn state. And I think that, um, Jacobs is just so talented that they're not going to be able to keep him off the field. The one thing I will say about the defensive class is that you look through the guys, Curtis Jacobs, we just mentioned him, uh, his playing time might be limited based on just the number of, of guys they have at linebacker. Enzo Jennings, they don't really need him. Cole Brevard, Kaziah Izzard, don't really need them. Uh, Zariah Fisher, Joseph Johnson, uh, Bryce Mastella, Amin Vanover, Tyler Elsner. Like It's a bunch of dudes that they don't need to play. And I think there is uh, a lot of good in that. I think it's really good that they're going to be able to uh, get guys used to life in college football before that happens. But it also makes this question really hard to answer for the defense. And I think it is much easier to answer for the offense. Although the one guy I would say uh, beyond Jacobs, maybe Jair Brown, just because he's a Juco, but We'll have to see what happens there. Uh, moving on to a question. Yeah, that's a good pick, too. It's good Mo- to shout him out. I think he's going to be pretty good. 
Moving on to a question from John Theo. Can you thoroughly explain how our offensive line is going to be looking this year? Uh, I think the answer is very good. Uh, As for specifics and where guys are going to line up, that's a little bit different uh, because they have, you know, they could go Rasheed Walker, Mike Miranda, Michael Mennett, CJ Thorpe, Will Fries, or, you know, maybe they can move some dudes around. They can get Caden Wallace in there. They can get Anthony Wigan in there, Des Holmes, Bryce Effner, like, to me, Matt, there is a lot that this offensive line is going to be able to do. And both Kirk Shiraka and Phil Troutline are going to be able to take some time to figure out their best unit because in that time, you know, even though they have Ohio State Week 2, in the amount of time that they will need to dedicate to figuring out who their best five is. There is enough talent there that I don't think it's going to be anything catastrophic as they're experimenting. Yeah, I wrote this preview, so I'll kind of go through like a, like a spark notes version of that. Um, so the starters are going to be left to right. Rasheed Walker, Mike Miranda, Michael Mennett, CJ Thorpe, and Will Fries. And then the backups, I think Walker, I'm sorry, um, Des Holmes is going to back up both Walker and Miranda. They like him at both those spots, which is great having that flexibility. Like, let's say Des Holmes plays really well and you really think, you know, he can really help out in certain drives. Throw him in there next to Rashid Walker and, and get your best on the field. And then uh, Juice Scruggs, finally healthy. Great for him. Uh, that, that's just an awesome story. Really happy for him. Uh, is going to be the backup at center, which is good because Mike Miranda can then work in there if need be. Um, but he can spend most of his time at guard. Uh, I think Will Fries is going to be the primary backup to CJ Thorpe at right guard just because I think Caden Wallace is going to be so good. And, and again, similar thing as, as kind of Holmes. If you think, you know, for this certain set, Fries is the better option at, at guard, slide him in there and bring in Caden Wallace, and then you're set. Um, this group is so talented, and there's so much flexibility. So I, I, there's no reason this unit shouldn't be top two in the conference. Yeah, it's – having a good offense uh, – this good of an offensive line is something new to James Franklin's Penn State, and I think it's something that makes the fact that um, they're breaking in a new offensive coordinator and Sean. they need Sean Clifford to take a step forward. This is something that I think is going to really help out a lot. Uh, moving to a question uh, from Walter White. Uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a question that's going to come with a disclaimer that I'm going to say after. Who leads the team in rushing yards this year? Who leads the team in rushing touchdowns this year? And the disclaimer is that we hear the exact same rumors that you hear about the guy we think is going to be Penn State starting running back. Um, we don't know anything. We just hear the rumors. Uh, we hear, we've heard everything that has been going around on the internet. We have no idea what the answer is whether they're true, whether they're not true, whether it's somewhere in between, whatever it might be. But our hope is that whatever is going on or whatever is rumored to be going on with Journey Brown is not going to be something that um, that keeps him from pursuing a future as a football player. Again, hopefully this is all speculation. Uh, Indiana coach Tom Allen was asked about this today. Uh, he said he hadn't heard them uh but the effect you know hadn't heard them the effects of him potentially being unavailable or minimal i'd say his direct quote uh per uh indiana football beat reporter john blau of the herald times is i'd say the effect of him not being there is very little they've got a stable full of running backs 
I wanted to get that out of the way, Matt. Hopefully we get some more, uh, we, we get further word on what happens and what's going on with the journey in the coming days. But until then, let's answer this question. Leads the team in rushing yards, leads the team in rushing touchdowns. All right. Um, so, so I'm going to operate under the assumption that the journey will play in, until I have reason not to. Um, so there I'm going to go rushing yards. It's journey Brown. It's not close rushing touchdowns. I'm going to go Noah Kane. Uh, I, I think Noah Kane's really going to thrive in, in the short yard package. And he only, he didn't play in every game last year and he still set the freshman rushing touchdown record. He has a knack for the end zone. And again, I think this is a very old school, very player friendly style of offense, very quick to learn. And I think Noah Kane's going to thrive. Um, if if the journey rumor comes true, give me Noah Kane for for rushing yards as well. Uh, I agree with that, but also if it's not journey, you know, if he's unable to go, I think Devin Ford is going to lead in rushing yards. Uh, big believer in the talent. I think that what he is able to do as a more versatile running back means that they can do. And I'm not saying that they are going to do this, just this sort of thing. The Reggie Bush, Wendale White sort of thing, where Ford is the guy that the entire playbook is available when he's on the field. And then once Kane goes on, uh, while he's a little quicker, while he's a little faster than I think a lot of people give him credit for, they could just use him as the battering ram that wears a defense down or runs at a really tired defense. So... The good news is they have options there, even if it's not one of, uh, even if those two do two or three do the stuff they're capable of. Kayvon Wee and Kaziah Holmes both seem to be guys that are generating a ton of buzz, and uh, hopefully they uh, ho- hopefully they're able to do that. Also, uh, my hope is that a run on one running back Tank Smith gets a look because he is five seven and two seventy seven and. Uh, you know, dude's a dude's a bowling ball. Is he so. really listed at two seventy seven? Five foot seven. That's right. No way. Oh yeah, my god. There's got to be a package for it. Yeah. I mean, oh my god. You, you can literally call it the tank package. This is very easy. <laughs> this is amazing. Moving on. I didn't think he was that big. <laughs> oh my god. I'm all about this. Same. I mean, they have Noah Kane, so they probably okay, don't no, need 227. Okay, I'm two, not 277. Okay, 227 is listed at. Wait, did I slip and say 277? Yeah, I was about to oh, say. Oh, my bad, my bad. If he's 277, you put him in there every play. Yeah. Okay, 227 is still fantastic. Still, that's bigger than Noah Kane by one pound. So, yeah, neither here nor there. Uh, moving on to our final two questions. One, Another one from Bryant. Any info about what slash how the new offense looks installed and who is stepping up a wide receiver? Uh, and then Bear Buren wants to know, John Dunmore was my pick for breakout receiver this year, which obviously isn't happening. Any chance he comes back in the future? Uh, I think it's much easier to answer that second one, Matt, which is that until... Uh, it is signed on the dotted line that a guy is no longer with the program. There's going to be a chance. Uh, and, you know, whatever's going on with John Dunmore, uh, it has been reportedly reported pretty extensively that he is uh, back home in Florida. He is not with the team. He is not listed on Penn State's roster. So whatever's going on with John, uh, all the best to him. Hopefully he comes back, but if the best thing for him is that he doesn't come back, hopefully wherever he lands up, he's able to live up to the promise that uh, we think that he has, except for when he's playing Penn State. Uh, As for that first question, any info about what slash how the new offense looks like installed and who is stepping up at wide receiver? The former, not really. Um, Matt, unless there's anything that you have read, it sounds like 
we're going to get a lot more clarity on this stuff in the coming uh, days in the lead up to Indiana, correct? Yeah, pretty much. I think Kirk being a, a really experienced offensive play caller gives him a lot of understanding of w- what the pace is for a lot of dudes. So uh, I'm just going to assume it's going along, you know, swimmingly until I hear otherwise. Yeah, until it's one of those things where until we have a reason to be concerned, we shouldn't be. So we won't be concerned. That's uh, that that won't be uh, won't be on the to do list. Who was stepping up at wide receiver is a much Different question. Uh, you can go back and listen to our wide receiver preview podcast, which was done under the assumption that John Dunmore was with the team, but they have a known commodity in Jahan Dotson. They have two guys who have played a decent amount of football, and it seems like they have some trust in Daniel George and Cam Sullivan Brown. And then the rumblings are uh, two true freshmen, Keandre Lambert Smith and Parker Washington, both seem to be guys who can play early and contribute early. Uh, I think all of that, all that sounds right, all that seems like it makes sense, and I think that uh, as long as the wide receiver group isn't a gigantic net net negative, Matt, with how good this running game is going to be, there are going to be opportunities for them to do some stuff out there. Yeah, I I think this a lot of really good stuff has been coming out of camp about Daniel George as a really great leader, Um, and I, I think he is a really talented dude. Uh, I think Cam Sullivan Brown is a guy to keep an eye on. I, I think his experience and, and frankly, just bad injury luck um, is really the only reason I think we're not hyping him up more. So that's a name to keep an eye on. Um, and then, like you said, Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith uh, for sure going to get some run in there. But if I were to take a guess right now on, on what the depth chart will look like, I'm going to guess Jahan Dotson, Daniel George and, uh, and then Cam Sullivan Brown. Then we actually had uh, one more question that I didn't jot down from Penfell 25. How many guys is Pat Frymuth going to truck this season? All of them. Here is a very interesting subplot with Pat. I think that he is the most well-rounded tight end in college football. But in terms of who is the most productive pass-catching tight end in college football, I think it's Kyle Pitts of Florida. And I think that Kyle Pitts has put up some real, you know, a Philadelphia guy. And Kyle Pitts has put up some really special numbers. 17 receptions, 274 yards, seven touchdowns in three games this season. I am very interested in seeing what we get out of Fryermuth, knowing that Pitts has set the bar for tight ends in college football this season. And I think that it's possible that Pat just has a monster, monster season, uh, especially with everything that's happened with him um, coming back to Penn State and then being Rumble, you know, Rumble's being that he was uh, considering leaving and then coming back to Penn State one more time. So I think Pat's in for a gigantic year, Matt. Yeah, I I think the Mackey's out of reach, I'll be honest, just because I think Kyle Pitts has been that good, which is, I think, more of an indictment on Kyle Trask being a fraud and having to go to him more often than not, but that's that's beyond my Florida hate. Um, I think Fryman is going to be great. I, I don't think the Mackey is the goal that that people should keep an eye on. I think the goal is going to be getting to the playoff. And if I'm being honest, with how well Kyle Pitts has played and, and with the way I expect Pat to play, I think that's more realistic than the Mackey. And, and I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I think he's going to be great. Um, he'll probably lead Penn state in receptions. Um, if I were to, if I were to just take a bet right now, so uh, he's going to be his usual self. And we were very lucky that we get this last year out of him. I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's everything. This is our last 
preview season preview podcast. Uh, we made it the longest we made it. season the world's ever seen. Yeah, make sure you're listening uh, later this week when we're going to be talking about Indiana, possibly with some Indiana people. We don't know. Uh, I haven't thought that far ahead yet. Matt, any uh, final things you want to say before I sign end this one? Uh, no, that's all I got. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Of course, make sure with the season starting up, you're following us on all of our various social media channels. Make sure you are subscribing to the podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, every place where you can get your podcasts. Make sure you are following along. And if you use Apple Podcasts and you want to go leave us a five-star review, we'd really appreciate that. Please keep reading and supporting the site. Please keep buying shirts. Please keep wearing a mask and washing your hands and all that stuff so we do not have to worry about this college football season facing another postponement. One more time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.